welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rock with Katie and Allie. Typically just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Judith F. Brenner. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Judith owns Creative Lakes Media, a freelance writing and editing service company, but she's here today to talk with us about her book, The Moments Between Dreams. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. So I've been writing as a journalist over the decades and then switched to public relations And I love the who, what, when, where, why, five W's of journalism. So it was a a learning experience for me to write this debut novel. Took a lot of classes at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis and classes in Chicago, my hometown. And it was wonderful to even attend the University of Iowa's um, mini MFA program where your book is workshopped and it's a very thick-skinned process. And it was so helpful to really determine what my first chapter should be and to hook the reader. So it's been a fun process to see this book come to fruition in 2022. Perfect. Well, we're so excited to get into it. Um, But as usual, we have made a cocktail for your book. Um, So this is called The Moments Between Dreams, and it is inspired by elements of your book. So it is vodka, a rhubarb simple syrup, orange liqueur, and then you shake it all up until it's cold and you top it off with ginger beer. So cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Mm. Delicious. Mm. Anything with ginger beer and rhubarb is really good. (laughs) So before we dive into your book, we like to set the scene for all of our listeners. We're talking about a woman named Carol living in the 40s and 50s in America. Can you tell us a little bit about what this time period is like for women, especially women whose husbands were drafted into World War II. Yes. So the Moments Between Dreams spans, takes the reader from 1940 through 1955. They meet Carol when she's 26 and she falls in love with her first boyfriend. And in the 40s, women were expected to permanently grow up and be wives and mothers. That was the role. But then once... uh, Um, After the Great Depression, we had World War II, and the U.S. um, actually looked at the empty factories as they were drafting men to war, and women at some were volunteers at the time, so women could pursue military services. Um, We know of those as WACs. Um, And then the problem, though, was the factories were empty, so the federal government actually created a propaganda campaign named Rosie the Riveter. And it is based on a factory worker, but they created this fictitious character and put posters in magazines and in movie theaters. And you've even seen like the Saturday Evening Post, um, Norman Walkwell painting of Rosie the Riveter we're familiar with today. The problem was a woman who was brought into the factory. Oh, I should point out the government also created a grant that we would love to see more of today where it was... uh, infusing money into the communities for childcare services, because mm-hmm. how could a woman leave her children if there wasn't a grandmother in the, in the picture alive and healthy? So that was going on and women had moved into the workforce. When the allies won the war and Germans were defeated as well as Japan, uh, Russia was left as a power that in Eastern Europe uh, created with America, the cold war and Again, the government stepped in looking, well, how can America, with building safe houses in their basements, and should there be a nuclear attack, 
they really looked at gender roles in the 50s, and that was in initially connected to the Cold War. So the term, think about it, nuclear nuclear family emerged, and it created a, a stability of the family as an essential building block for society. So in this view, women played a crucial role in waging against the Cold War by keeping the family unit strong and intact. They thought she could do this by remaining in the home, taking care of her husband and her children, and refusing to pursue a career. Now, bucking that trend, we did see women in the 50s do that. Think Mad Men and Peggy and the advertising copywriter. Well, the sister to Carol, Polly, is pursuing and gets promoted as a copywriter at the opening chapters of the, she gets the Pons account, and it's a very fun thing. So I've created characters in this book that are Polly's childless and a career person focused on her career. Carol is a wife and mother traditional 50s and 40s once the women were out of the factories. And then she has a sister-in-law, Anna, who is also a very empowered woman. Um, so you get to see a couple of different women in different roles during those time periods and explore like what is a norm, you know, what we don't want to be defined. Mm -hmm. And like you said, this is a time period where, you know, especially after the war, women are really encouraged to kind of keep the household together and be tasked with this enormous thing. Um, but for a woman like Carol, I mean, she gets married to this man named Joe and he ends up having some control and anger issues. And there's a domestic violence situation. So what is a woman's option at this time? Like what can she do and how does that affect her place in society? Right. The, um, in, in, the, I did a lot of research of like what those options were, and I also looked at family court systems, and it really was against the norm in most religious households to become divorced. It was really looked down upon as, as, as were pregnancies out of wedlock. So the fact that uh, she became pregnant and married right away to conform to society, um, once she discovered that her husband had a, a rage issue, and even threatening her and hurting her, there weren't. There were options with maybe counseling your priest. Uh, she has a character who is a brother to her who has connections to law firms, which might give her advice. And the family court system was so um, egregiously unfair to a female because they felt like, well, you you are destroying the family, so why would we award you alimony? and even child custody if you can't even work mm -hmm. and were frowning upon women working. So they often awarded custody to men and women got very little alimony, if any. And if you think about it in the, in the, those years, it was very unusual for even a woman to have a checkbook, to have her own bank account, to be having a, a name on a deed to a home. So the, the challenges were immense. It was basically trapped. Mm -hmm. So in in the issue with being trapped, her husband ends up getting drafted to go to World War II. Does she have this sense of relief that he's going to be gone? Or is it fear of what's going to happen to me if he loses his life? Or is it the, a weird mixture of the two? Yeah, it is a mix because at that time, it's so there's somewhat still in that newlywed phase. So there's not a huge, terrible rift in the marriage. 
And she's worried for one, her, it's not a spoiler to say what's on the back of the book. And that is that her daughter gets, catches the polio virus. Mm -hmm. So here she's got the risk of her daughter never walking again is paralyzed from the neck down to um, worrying about her husband who's off to war. And then there, um, even in the book, it, it explains through my research how Joe was paid less as, as a sailor than he would have been paid had he not been recruited into the army or the Navy and stayed working at the machine shop. So he's pleading with the, his supervisors, can I just go home? I've got a sick kid. What can I do to, you know, he's very, he loves his family so much. And so there's a complex character there that, you know, he, he can't control his temper. He doesn't have that management in his brain at this moment to control himself, but he's still infatuated with Carol absolutely loves his children and can't be there. So that adds another layer of frustration on his psyche. Hmm. And in terms of polio, um, it's so interesting because you just uh, told us before the show started that uh, there's a, a day in October, what is it? Polio like remembrance day. I'm sorry. What was it again? Yeah. On October 28th, it's world polio day. Hmm. And in the book, I talk about March of Dimes was a big crusader of, of collecting dimes to raise money to find a vaccine or a cure or help these children with orthopedic um, braces and crutches. The other charity I wanted to mention was Rotary International, and they have an end polio campaign globally. And Rotary clubs in your state, my state, all over will have um, a chance to embrace this campaign globally. And, and locally to support vaccines and just recognize that the vaccine for polio works. Mm -hmm. And you get, a, you get a sense of the fear in the book of one, you have a virus like we did in 2020 with COVID and there was zero vaccine. Right. So you're innocently just catching this virus and not sure what the long-term effects are. So we can relate as a reader to the fear that the family feels when they see polio hit their, their family. One, just like COVID, we're nervous. Who else is going to catch it in our family? Do we have to separate? Mm -hmm. And then two, what is the cure? There was none. And then it took, with COVID, two years for us to, in America to get the vaccine going. In this book, and it's based on research, it was 11 years mm -hmm. before a polio vaccine came and was distributed. And, and then Elvis Presley became like the poster guy to show, hey, it's safe. Look at, I'm getting it. You like my music? You like the polio virus? Or excuse me, no, the polio vaccine <laughs> to present, to prevent the polio virus. So get vaccinated. So again, the government came through with like a lot of, um, a lot of posters to help people recognize this has got to stop. Like we can't have our kids sick and crippled all the way. Yeah. Right. Ah, it's very uh, Marie Antoinette of him. She yeah. did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so another aspect of this book is the family's ethnicity. They are a Polish family living in a Polish American neighborhood. Um, did that affect their living situation, how they were treated, how they treated domestic violence? Like, how does this interplay with the different themes in the book? Yes, I, I think there's a, a more of a sense of pride and having grown up in Chicago and I'm, I don't know how it is in New York or in, in Baltimore, but there was, it was not a sense of like, 
we are poles and we are uh, discriminated against. It was more about we stand together, but we also are the Polish people tended to be very Catholic and very quiet, and they wouldn't talk about anything that in the home that was going awry. So if someone's walking around with a bruise, you typically would just not look at it. You know, it just, it would be considered shameful. So there, there's not a lot, and I don't know if any ethnic group at that time or even today wouldn't do anything different. I think the ethnicity of the book happens to be my Polish background. And I put in some Polish scenes because I did ride the bus when I was working in, in college and high school. And if I was working late and came home and there'd be a lot of Polish spoken on the bus. So, you know, it just is like that today where you can walk into a community neighborhood and you'll hear the native language of the, of the community there. So there's a sense of pride of like, yes, we keep our heritage, we keep our drinks. <laughs> we would say Nostrovia for the toast and to your health. Um, and that, but the uh, sticking up for each other was still there. But at the same time, it was a very shameful thing. Again, with divorce or if a man hit a woman, we would, it, it wouldn't typically be addressed straight on. And I don't think that's uh, even cured today. I think there's a lot of turning the other way to look around it instead of, and I'm trying to make that issue more of a, get it above a whisper. It's okay to ask your friend if you saw a bruise, are you feeling safe at home? Mm -hmm. Your doctor might ask you, but why not your church going neighbor, your relative, your friend, just say, are you, are you safe at home? Or did you just get some plastic surgery and good for you, girl? Exactly. <laughs> you don't know. Like, but it's, it's not, it, we have to make it okay to say, I do see a bruise. I just checking on you. I care. And, and that, that could be enough. There's a lot more resources today than there were. Um, and yet I wanted to point out there's um, president Biden just signed uh, a funding act called the, um, the women's, uh, what is it called here? The national, um, Women's Against Violence Act, and he's funding it again to per, to push resources into creating domestic shelters and education for prevention, which there's not a lot of, but we really need those shelters because women become homeless, they have to take their children out of the house or lose custody, and we need we need help in that front. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of how timely these issues are, one of the aspects of the book that I was really interested in was. The fact that she's dealing with this domestic abuse situation in a time period where it's even worse than it is now. <laughs> and she's raising a daughter and not just any daughter, a daughter who is paralyzed. How does she interact with her daughter and try and maintain this kind of like, I want you to be strong, even though I'm in this terrible situation. And does that affect her behavior at all? Right. And that's why I called the book, The Moments Between Dreams, because she, Carol really wants to push to push her dreams, not through Ellie, but allow Ellie to be empowered and have her own dreams and face discrimination uh, head on. So that, you know, there's a scene where the girls next door won't come and play with Ellie because she's got this shiny metal on her leg and other parents are like, oh, it's still contagious. Like no one really knew where polio was coming from. So she was shunned as a child for one, being contagious, which is a myth. Two, because perhaps she couldn't jump rope or roller skate with the other girls and only could play with dolls or paper dolls. 
And then you've got, uh, uh, as I take the book over to when she's in her teenage years, she wants to be employed like her, her, her older brother. And she's getting shunned from uh, workplaces for having a limp. So Carol's constantly saying, don't worry about it. We're going to get you on that bus. She's pushing her um, to disregard the controlling father and pursue her dreams of work. And even has a scene where I, I show they need to correct the son because the son has the father as a role model. And I want to show what family dynamics are even today. If you have a family situation, you want to have a positive role model, or if, if it's the female saying to the son, recognize this person is not respecting women. And there's a, there's a conversation that Ellie and Carol have with the son going, you know that Ellie is not going to just be a wife and a mother. She has dreams. And so just by boosting and having her brother behind her back, that's going to give Ellie an empowerment feeling to just go for it and and it's kind of based on my mom because my mom was like that. If you saw her walk with that brace, she'd get from here to there in no time. And, and you wouldn't even like recognize that she was keeping her knee straight. Mm -hmm. Right. So this book, it just has so many angles, right? There's World War II, there's polio, there's domestic violence, there's um, just a lot happening. What kind of research did you have to do to keep the book feeling accurate and correct to the time period? Yeah. Um, I did read um, a book by um, Snyder that is called No Visible Bruises. Mm -hmm. And she, it's Rachel Lewis Snyder. She's a Washington Post uh, reporter in her past life and now is a novelist or a nonfiction writer. And I read what happens to women around the world um, today in domestic violence situations. And I crafted scenes to have that happen to Carol, just to show that these situations still happen today. Without data dumping statistics, I took notes and you have to, as a writer, learn, like you don't have to tell the reader everything. You can just put a couple things in the scene and trust your readers are smart, they'll pick up on it. Mm -hmm. The same thing is true with researching the Navy terms. I have no idea what, um, you know, a person who would be a sailor would be called or what he would call his superiors. And I tried to put a little humor in there when they're on the phone with Carol, when he gets to call home to reveal his assignment in the after boot camp, And, you know, there's this like, what SOB? No, 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> but there's all these acronyms and I didn't throw a lot in the book, but just enough to know, to authenticate that, yes, he's in the Navy and this is a realistic situation. So it's that kind of research really helped me craft and entertain the novel. And I really relied on my beautiful writing community here. Every other chapter was read by my good friends who are also writers. And that kind of feedback is so helpful in the writing process to get the story of like, well, we, you know it in your head, what you wanted to happen, but we didn't see it on the page. Or maybe I gave too much detail. And so I had to pull back and, and that's where you, you say, you leave some things on the cutting room floor. And again, trust your readers. They're smart people. Mm -hmm. mm. And your, your listeners, I know, are smart. So they're yeah. gonna... <laughs> yes. And uh, did you get to travel anywhere in particular while you were doing research just to get a feel for what it would have been like to walk in that time period or walk on a naval ship or anything like that? I did. I was in San Diego and I did get to see some of the battleships. Mm. Um, so I imagined what the character Joe was, you know, as a sailor seeing. And then I, I 
being grown up in Chicago, I saw the Navy Pier. And so through walking through that over many years as an adult and a child, you get, you get lots of signage there of what happened as the training uh, base when it was needed there as, as the Navy's pier. And then in uh, Atlanta is the CDC. And I was lucky enough that my daughter, who is a nurse now in Washington, D.C., she went to Emory right across the street from Emory is the CDC. So I walked through there. They had a wonderful display of the polio epidemic. And just like John Hopkins mapped out where the coronavirus was, there was maps of what, how the polio virus was spread. And then locally here, our uh, trauma center, Hennepin County Medical Center, has a display of a 1940s iron lung. Mm. And I, I brought my little kids there. This is kind of funny. And one of the uh, young ones is an ice skater and up at six in the morning, you know, burned all those calories up. And I'm like, okay, we're going on a field trip with Mrs. Brunner and my daughter. I'm like, this is an iron lung. And I'm taking pictures. I'm like, oh, this is how I got to describe the portholes and how they breathe. And poor Emma fainted. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> I was like, ah, I'm a Girl Scout leader. And I just like had a kid paint on me. What have I done? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm like, I think at least we're in the Hennepin County Medical Center. Right, happens by getting her a, a big French fry to help and a milkshake. <laughs> it was a little food. It was, it was just too much. Yeah, poor thing. You know, luckily there was no imagery of a person in it. You know, you're yeah, not sticking out with looking up at the mirror of an iron lung. It wasn't that, but but to a little kid who's. You know, a scary machine. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty scary machine. Going, someone lived in that. <laughs> so you, I got to keep a sense of humor when you're when you're writing too. You can't be too gory. Yeah, and so when people sit down with this book and and they get to the end, what's the main takeaway that you want them to to bring with them after reading? Really, um, the multifaceted thought of asking your friends and neighbors, are they okay and are they safe at home? And that everyone should have a dream. If you're meeting with someone who's disabled, whether it's a mental or physical disability, you don't have to speak loud to them. They're not stupid. You can just be compassionate and overlook and look at their soul, their heart, their eyes, their, their you know beauty within. Just recognize that we're all human and we all have dreams and we don't need to be fit into a square or a circle. Let them, let them dream. Mm. And this interview will be coming out and we're recording it in October. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Domestic Violence um, Awareness mm. Month? And some, can you talk about some resources maybe for our uh, listeners? Of course. So it, it's um, sad to know, but there is um, one in nine women face domestic abuse. And I wanted to mention that abuse is emotional. So if you're bullied at home, that's abuse. And you can go to court and get yourself a safe exit plan because emotional abuse hurts more than sometimes more than physical abuse because your self-esteem is affected. There's also financial abuse. So if you find someone who can't spend their money freely without being checked by a spouse, and I'm talking gender on gender, you know, could be the female being in control or the male. Um, just be aware of that. And one in, um, it's one in 11 men, I think, um, but it's closer, it's a closer one in 
uh, six or one in three women that are facing the situation. Um, there's also been research that um, domestic violence is a stimulator for mass shootings in America. And some of the government websites I looked at looked at the shooter came from the household where they may have shot their grandmother first or their spouse and had some domestic violence and then went out and did this crime spree. So America really has to become more aware of the family unit, intimate partner violence, and really look at preventing and getting better role models or get getting people out to safety. So thank goodness there's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. There are national hotlines out there. If I can, if anyone of your listeners has a pen, um, they're also on my website, but the National Domestic Violence Hotline number I'll tell is 1-800-799-7233. And if your listeners are in other countries, in Canada or the UK, my website also has those uh, resources where people can start to get help nationally and then look down to their community, what what's next door to them, that they can seek safety. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Could you tell everybody what your website is, where they can find your book, and where they can find you on social media? Sure. The website is under my name. So it's Judith F is in Francis Brenner, judithfbrenner.com. And on Instagram, you can find me under my short nickname, Judy underscore my last name, maiden name, Paprock underscore Brenner. So Judy Paprock Brenner under Instagram. And I uh, welcome everyone to check out the book. It's an ebook, any one of your platforms. As paperback, it's at Barnes and Noble. You can look at bookshop.org. We'll support your local indie bookstore and, of course, Amazon. And it is an ebook, and I did hire a wonderful narration artist um, who offers that Polish accent. And I hope you enjoy it if you listen to the book as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on. What a great time period to do this episode in so people are just more aware of uh, domestic violence and how we can help. Um, So thank you again for coming on and sharing so much good information with us. Thanks for having me on the show. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.